What's going on, everybody? This is Andy Snikowski bringing you the second ever episode. That's right, episode number two of the History of Birdland podcast. If you had a chance to listen to the first episode, it was all about the opening, the building, the background of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And if you're a new listener to the show, basically, it's very simple. This show is going to go through the entire history of the Baltimore Orioles, so there's so much to talk about. It'll be good stuff. It'll be bad stuff. We're not going to leave anything out. Just because the Orioles lost in the 1997 ALCS doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. So it'll be the good. It'll be the bad. Player profiles, season recaps, significant game recaps, just everything you can possibly think of. I will discuss on this podcast, and I hope you'll be along with me on the ride. Today, episode number two, we're going to be talking about Eric Davis. That's right. Eric Davis was a member of the Baltimore Orioles for just two seasons, but I'm going to be honest, he was one of my favorite Orioles. I mean, I know he was only here for a couple years, but the impact he made and as good as a player as he was, I thought we could discuss him on this week's show and just go through his entire career point out what he did with the Orioles, even though it was a very short stay, it was a very impactful stay as well. So today we're going to be talking about Eric Davis. So let's start with a little bit of background on Eric Davis. He was born in LA, uh, was one of three children. And from a very early age, he was very good at athletics. Uh, He wound up playing basketball and baseball were his two major sports. And actually, as he was playing at Baldwin Hills Rec Park, he befriended Daryl Strawberry. And their careers would become intertwined between high school, Major League Baseball. Eric Davis attended John C. Fremont High School in South Los Angeles, California, where he starred in both basketball and baseball, while Dale Strawberry played for a crosstown rival, Crenshaw. As a senior, and of course, this is high school, and you don't know how many of these guys actually played at a significant level, but just kind of put into perspective how good of a player Eric Davis was at a very young age. As a senior, Eric Davis batted 635 and stole 50 bases in just 15 games. That's an incredible stat line. 50 base, he hit 635. (laughs) And again, this is high school. They probably used aluminum bats. Usually the guys who are going to make it to the next level stand out more so than anybody else on the team. And he was also good as a basketball player. As a basketball player, he averaged 29 points and 10 assists. He, he averaged a double-double per game. And actually, he was more interested in playing in the NBA. But the main reason that he didn't pursue an NBA career more aggressively, I suppose, is that he really didn't want to go to college. And in the NBA back then, the easiest way to get into the NBA was through the college ranks. So he decided to shift his attention to Major League Baseball or playing for a Major League Baseball team. In 1980, Eric Davis was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. He was taken in the eighth round, 200th overall. So if you know anything about the Major League Baseball draft, usually once you get past the first four or five rounds, it's kind of hard to see if you're going to make a career out of it. Just A uh, sidebar here, Daryl Strawberry was also taken in the 1980 MLB draft, only he was taken number one overall by the New York Mets. So you can see the difference between these two players at that time. 
Eric Davis was kind of seen as a mid-level player, even though he had a very good high school career. Daryl Strawberry was the number one guy in the 1980 MLB draft for the New York Mets. So after a couple years in the minor leagues, Eric Davis would finally get his break. 1984, May 19th, 1984, Eric Davis would make his major league debut with the Cincinnati Reds. He came in as a pinch hitter, only got one at bat, and they lost 9-1 to to the St. Louis Cardinals. So not the greatest of debuts, but he's in the big show. Actually, the very next day, May 20th, 1984, Davis got his first career start. He went one for three, scored a run, and his one hit was a triple. So his first major league hit was a triple. Um, in the first couple years of Davis's career, he really didn't get used too much. Uh, 1984, his rookie year, only played 57 games. 1985, only played 56 games. So not used a lot in his first couple years. As a Major League Baseball player, 1986 is really when his playing time and his importance to the Cincinnati Reds really uh, jumped up. 1986, he played 132 games, had uh, 27 home runs, 71 RBIs, hit 277, and actually finished 12th in the MVP voting that year. 24 years old, 1986. Just to show my youth, I was born in 1986. 1987, though, that was his breakout year for the Cincinnati Reds. He's 25 years old. He hit 293, 37 home runs, 100 RBIs in 1987. He was elected to the All-Star Game, finished ninth in the MVP voting, had a gold glove and a silver slugger. So 1987 was really when Eric Davis introduced himself to the Major League Baseball world, and, and he would go on a run here with the Reds that was pretty impressive. 1988. Same thing. He batted 273, 26 home runs, 93 RBIs. Again, finished 13th in the MVP voting, won his second consecutive gold glove. 1988, again, another great year. Hit 281, 34 home runs, career high in RBIs with 101. And again, his second All Star game appearance, ninth in the MVP voting, a third consecutive gold glove, and a second silver slugger. So he is really starting to come into his own here with the Cincinnati Reds. In 1990, this is a significant year for him and the ball team because 1990 was when the Cincinnati Reds pulled off one of the biggest upsets in World Series history when they beat the Oakland Athletics, and they swept them. They swept the defending world champions in a four-game series. Uh, In this season for Eric Davis, he batted 260. With 24 home runs, 86 RBIs, finished 12th in the MVP voting in the 1990 World Championship year for the Cincinnati Reds. After 1990, though, it starts to go downhill a little bit. So injuries really sabotaged his career in the early 90s after the World Championship season uh, in 1990 for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, He was actually traded to the L.A. Dodgers for Tim Belcher and John Wetland. That's an interesting name if any uh, baseball fans out there remember John Wetland as the uh, closer for the New York Yankees before Mariano Rivera, and then Wetland actually went to Texas, I believe, for a couple years, had some decent seasons. He suffered more injuries in 1992 and was largely ineffective. In that 1992 campaign, he uh, only played in 76 games, as we mentioned, for the L.A. Dodgers uh, to hit 228, five home runs, 32 RBIs. 
And then uh, in 1993, he started the year with the Dodgers. Actually, he finally started to get some playing time, was doing okay. Had 14 home runs, 53 RBIs in 108 games. And on August 23rd, 1993, the Dodgers dealt Davis to the Detroit Tigers for the infamous player to be named later. One week later, the Tigers sent John DeSilva to the Dodgers to complete the trade. So Davis was expected to be the Tigers' primary center fielder in 1994, but injuries limited him to just 37 games. And of course, 1994, infamous for baseball fans, that was the strike sorting season. And Davis was granted free agency by the Tigers, and then he actually chose to retire. So he did not play the entire 1995 season. And Davis is actually still pretty young at this point. He's 33 years old in 1995, but he chose to retire. Obviously, that wouldn't last very long, but a very interesting choice because he he's still a very young guy. He still has probably a couple years to offer, but he decided to step away from the game, did not play at all in 1995. And after that 1995 year where he just sat out, he felt healthy enough and decided to return to baseball. And in 1996, he signed a free agent contract with the Cincinnati Reds. So he's back in baseball with the team that drafted him. So 1996, Eric Davis is back in baseball, plays with the team that drafted him way back in 1980. And he has a decent season. At the age of 34, he plays 129 games for the Reds, bats 287. 26 home runs and 83 RBIs. So not a bad year. I mean, he he did he did have a couple injuries in that 1996 season that limited his play a little bit. But overall, not a bad year. But it was only a one-year deal, and the Reds uh, decided not to bring him back. So the Orioles decided to take a flyer on him. And this is in the 1996 offseason slash 1997 preseason. And the Orioles are just coming off of a playoff appearance. They've lost a couple guys. Uh, Bobby Bonilla left the team after the 1996 season, so they kind of needed a a veteran presence. And Eric Davis brought that. So the Orioles decided to sign Eric Davis. This was a big season for the Orioles because in 1997, they went wire to wire. Uh, From day one until day 162, the Baltimore Orioles were in first place in the 1997 season. And Eric Davis contributed a little bit to that because we'll get into why. And if you're an Orioles fan, you pretty much know why. Uh, So Eric Davis started the year. He was an everyday starter for the Orioles. And he, uh, he played until May 25th. And that was 34 games. He hit 302, seven home runs, 20 RBI. So respectable numbers, really pretty good numbers for Eric Davis uh, in the 1997 season to start. But unfortunately, um, in May of 1997 that year, so right around this time, uh, Eric Davis was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, so he had, to, he had to take a break. And unfortunately, as an Orioles fan, we kind of know this whole thing because Trey Mancini a couple years ago was diagnosed with colon cancer um, as well. And so it, it was almost like deja vu for Orioles fans when we saw Trey Mancini going through this because any fan of the team back in the 90s remembers Eric Davis, and you remember the Orioles uh, wearing the number 24 um, on their helmets the entire 1997 season. And it was it was a shame because, like I said, Eric Davis was having a pretty good season, really really doing okay, hitting over 300 for the Orioles uh, before he, he left and went on a, I hate to say sabbatical because he was getting treatment for colon cancer, 
So his last game for the Orioles before the diagnosis was May 25th. Um, he did not return until later that year. And, and actually, when he did return, he was still receiving treatment. So by September, while he was still on treatment, uh, Davis returned to the team. Obviously, the cancer treatment left him tired, but he worked hard to regain his form and was well enough to play in some games to end the season. So for Eric Davis, in the last month or half month of the season, he played from September 15th to September 28th. So so he played eight games in the month of September. Um, obviously had a couple off days here and there. But in those eight games, he hit 310. So he's still hitting pretty well. One home run, four RBIs in those eight games played. He actually started seven of those eight games. And the Orioles, as a team, they went seven and one of those games with Eric Davis. So, not, I mean, he, he came back from colon cancer. He was still receiving treatment at the time in September. And the Orioles were still winning, winning ball games and having, having a pretty good time of it. So, so now we enter the 1997 playoffs. And you wonder if you're the Orioles. How much of a role does Eric Davis play? Because he, you know, did not play a lot of games that year. If you look at the 1997 split, he only played in 42 games. He did hit 304 when he did play with eight home runs, 25 RBIs. So he played pretty, pretty well. So you're entering the playoffs. You're playing. You have a guy who is recovering from colon cancer. So how much do you play him? I, th- I think that was a huge, I wouldn't say risk, but, you know, the Orioles were doing pretty well without Davis. So how much do you throw him into uh, the playoffs? So let's let's go over the 1997 playoffs for Eric Davis. Uh, the 1997 American League Divisional Series, uh, the Orioles played the Mariners. They would win that series in four games. Davis actually played in three of those games. So he played in three of the four games. He got nine at bats, two hits, had a 222 batting average. So, and actually had two RBIs. So he drove in two runs in the first series. The Orioles win that series three games to one. They advanced to their second consecutive ALCS. Of course, they lost the ALCS in 1996. 1997, we will talk about this. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, we will talk about the bad memories of the Orioles because, like I said, you can't talk about the good without talking about the bad. So the Orioles enter the ALCS, probably the favorites to win. Like I said, they finished uh, wire to wire, first place all season. They had the best record in the American League, home field advantage throughout the American League side of the playoffs. And the ALCS started pretty good. The Orioles took game one. Uh, in Baltimore, three to nothing behind Scott Erickson. Scott Erickson got the win. Randy Myers with the save. So they take a one one nothing lead in the series. Game two, the Indians would would bounce back and win five four. So split the two games in Baltimore. Not the end of the world. If you're the Orioles, obviously you'd like to win both of those games and go into Cleveland up two games to nothing. But you know a split isn't the end of the world. Game three was maybe one of the weirdest games in Baltimore Orioles history. And and when we talk about the 1997 ALCS, we will dive more into this game. The Orioles lost this game 2-1. to Now, the way the game ended was weird enough. Uh, the, The game ended with, in the 12th inning, 
Omar Vizquel was batting, he tried to lay down a bunt. He missed, but the Orioles were protesting that he bunted it foul. It was a foul tip. Marquise Grissom scores, wins the game, 2-1. to one. And Davey Johnson comes out and argues and to no avail. And another another crazy thing about this game, too, was this was the coming out party of Mike Messina. I mean, he'd already been a really good pitcher for a long time, but he struck out 15 guys in this game, gave up one run, and the Orioles were not able to score enough to win the game. So the Orioles lose game three. They're down two games to one in the series. Not the end of the world. A chance to come back on the next day. Game four, they lose again. This is supposed to be our year. This is supposed to be the Orioles' year. They lose eight to seven to Cleveland. Now they're down three games to one and facing elimination. So they got to win three in a row to get to the World Series. And th- and this is what I'm getting to. Game five, game five of the American League Championship Series. If you don't remember anything about Eric Davis and his two years in Baltimore, you have to remember this moment. So the Orioles, game five, facing elimination. They have a two nothing lead. It's a well-pitched game by the Orioles. They're up 2-0 entering the ninth inning where Eric Davis comes up and does this. A ball and two strikes on Eric Davis leading it off in the ninth inning, and that's well hit into left center field. Roberts back, looks up, and it's gone. Eric Davis goes deep here in the ALCS to make it 3-0 Orioles, and you cannot say enough about Eric Davis, what he is made up of, what he has gone through since the middle of June, diagnosed with colon cancer, undergoing an operation to remove that cancerous tumor, going through chemotherapy, and the inspirational leader not only for the Orioles, but so many people hit with cancer across this country. Now, when you hear that call and you hear that, oh, the Orioles go up 3 nothing, you're thinking, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Like, they're already up 2 nothing. He just added a little bit of insurance. And the Orioles would actually score another run in that ninth inning to make it 4 to nothing. Well, that Eric Davis home run was huge because the Indians would actually score two runs in the bottom of the ninth. So if Davis doesn't hit that home run, the Indians may tie that game and win that series right then and there. But Eric Davis comes through with the big home run in the top of the ninth inning. The Orioles wound up winning that game, forcing a game six. We don't have to get into what happened afterwards because it wasn't good for Orioles fans. But that was the the standout moment for me for Eric Davis, especially after the year that he had just been through. So just think about that. 1997, you know, he signs with a new team. He's playing well, hitting close to 300 hitting home runs, contributing to a really good baseball team for the first 35 games of the year, and then something that you never expect to hear, especially at a man his age, pretty young in his mid-30s at the time, gets a colon cancer diagnosis and misses most of the season. And, and when you get diagnosed with that, when you get diagnosed with anything, you're not, you're not thinking of, you know, what am I going to do for work? Well, you know, you're thinking about just surviving. So for him to go from the highs of highs of signing with a new team, playing well, the team's playing well, everything's going great, to literally hitting the lowest of lows, receiving that diagnosis, to come back that same season, still receiving treatment when he was coming back in September, and to deliver a crucial home run late in the postseason 
to extend their season, even if it only was just one game, this to me was the defining moment of Eric Davis in his two short years in Baltimore. But loved, loved, loved Eric Davis. So the Orioles, even after that dramatic Game 5 victory, were not able to come back all the way. They wound up losing Game 6. The Indians go to the World Series and lose like they should have for beating us. But So 1997 was kind of a weird year for Eric Davis because he had he had some good moments. He had some good numbers. But the season didn't end the way it was that the the way the team hoped it would have ended, and it didn't end for him the ups and downs personally for him that he had to go through in 1997 were not probably the greatest for him. But 1998, the Orioles decide to bring him back, and he has one of the best years of his career at the age of 36. At the age of 36, Eric Davis comes back with the Orioles in 1998, and he plays in 131 games. So again, not not a full season, but, you know, 30 games off. That's not bad. I I mean, I would take that for a 36-year-old, but look at these numbers. In 1998, Eric Davis hit 327 with 28 home runs and 89 RBI. He finished 18th in the MVP voting that year, but he had the highest batting average of his career and really good power numbers. And like I said, played in 131 games, really had a great year for the Orioles. I mean, if you really think about that, that is a tremendous season for Eric Davis. And that would be his last year with the Orioles. Uh, He would play a couple more years, played a, a few sparing years with the St. Louis Cardinals in 99 and 2000, never playing over 100 games in any year in his career afterwards. So the Orioles in 1998, uh, he played 131 games. That was the last time he would play over 100 games. He'd play a couple more years, like I said, a couple years with the Cardinals and one year with the Giants, but never really reached that plateau of what 1998 was for him. Now, as 1998 for the Orioles was kind of a disappointing year. Uh, Of course, the 1997 offseason was well-known because Davey Johnson left the team. Just a lot of turnover at the Orioles. After back-to-back appearances in the ALCSs, the Orioles in 1998 would finish 79-83. and So a very disappointing 1998 season. They finished fourth uh, in the American League East, and this would start the uh, downward slide that became the 15 years of losing records for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, We didn't know it back then uh, because the Orioles, you know, like I said, coming off back-to-back ALCS appearances, um, you would have thought that maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know, they make a playoff here and there, but it just really started a downward spiral for the Orioles as an organization. But let's let's end this on a positive. Eric Davis, let's look at his career. 17-year career, so a really good career for Eric Davis. He wound up batting 269 for his career. He hit 282 home runs and drove in 934 runs. He stole over 349 bases. Uh, As I mentioned throughout the podcast, he finished in the top 20 of the MVP voting on five different occasions, two-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, two-time Silver Slugger Awards. So a really nice career for Eric Davis. He uh, obviously won the World Series in 1990. 
One thing I forgot to mention that is definitely important in that 1997 season with him battling through colon cancer and the treatment, he actually was awarded the Roberto Clemente Award in 1997. He's also a member of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. So think about that. The Cincinnati Reds, as an organization, have been around longer than any organization in baseball. And he's a member of their Hall of Fame. So think of players like Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan and Pete Rose, uh, Lee May. Just the list goes on and on and on of great Cincinnati Reds players. And this guy, Eric Davis, is in the Hall of Fame. He's not a member of the Orioles Hall of Fame. And I don't I don't know if he honestly, he was only here for two years. Um, he did have arguably one of the top five biggest moments of that era with that home run in game five of the American league championship series. I don't know if he deserves numbers wise to be in the Orioles hall of fame, but I loved Eric Davis and that, and that's, I know most of this podcast was about his career outside of Baltimore. Like his, his, if you take a snapshot of Eric Davis's major league baseball career, a very small portion of it, was in Baltimore. That's just the way it was. But for me as a kid growing up, watching Eric Davis, he was one of my favorite players. The crap that he had to go through with the cancer diagnosis and to still come out and play baseball and deliver on some big moments for the Orioles. He arguably had one of his best seasons in orange and black in 1998. Yeah, the season as a whole was disappointing, but he had one of his best seasons overall. Uh with the Orioles. So I just wanted to show a spotlight on, on Eric Davis and, and show appreciation for his time here in Baltimore. As short as it was, uh, it was very memorable, good moments, good numbers. I just really enjoyed watching Eric Davis as a kid. And, and actually me as a little league baseball player, at one point I was trying to do a batting stance like Eric Davis. That's how much I really, really enjoyed watching Eric Davis play. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. This is episode number two. Yes, two are in the book. The first episode was about the opening of Oreo Park at Camden Yards. If you have a chance, please go back, listen, subscribe, like, rate, do whatever you can. If you enjoy the episode, uh, you should be able to hear this podcast on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the major podcasts, uh, outlets out there. Uh, Drop me a line. My email is historyofbirdland at gmail.com. The Twitter handles at Birdland History and at Andy Snacks is my personal one, A-N-D-Y-S-N-A-K-S. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the podcast. If you like it, uh, ideas for future shows. I'm all ears, open to anything that you guys want to say about the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it so far. Two episodes down next week. The episode I'm going to do is a breakdown of game 162 in the 2011 season. If you remember, that was the night that all hell broke loose in the last game of the season, and the Orioles were in the middle of it. They had a tremendous comeback and eliminated the Red Sox from the 2011 postseason. And you could argue that this game, this game, springboarded the Orioles into becoming one of the best teams over the next six years. So we'll we'll deep dive into that game, go through the highlights, the players, where they are now, and everything about game 162 
of the 2011 season. So thanks again for listening. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends. If you're enjoying the podcast, let me know if you got any suggestions. Again, the email, historyofbirdland at gmail.com. The Twitter, Birdland History and Andy Snacks. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I will be back next week with game 162 of the 2011 season.